0: the title of our message tonight is Foreign Servant, or Foreign Service. Because uh, God is going to talk about, God in fact starts out, we are in Jeremiah chapter 5. Tonight our text is verses 10 through 19. Foreign Service is the title of the message. And uh, we are going to see three things. Let me just jump right in and give you the outline. Uh, We have verses 10 through 13 is God's foreign servants. Uh, In other words, He's now going to talk to and give instruction to an unnamed source, which would end up being a, a military, an army, that is going to come and chasten his people. We end up knowing in the long run that that would be Babylon. Uh, but So we're going to look at God's foreign servants. And then verse 14 through 17, we're going to see Judah's cl- greatest friend, and that would be Jeremiah. And, and again, Jeremiah was the, the God's last effort to call the Jews, called Judah to repentance, uh, and he would have gathered them together as a hen gathers her chicks, but they would not. And then verse 18 and 19 is the discipline. Uh, discipline on his people. Not doom, which they probably viewed it as doom, but it was discipline. Uh, but it was not permanent. And we're going to see that depending on how much time we have. Now, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, don't turn there because I want you to stay here in Jeremiah, but in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God enters into covenant with his people and he shares in verse 1, he says, and it shall come to pass, he's now talking to Israel, both before they became even a, a divided kingdom, it shall come to pass that thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come. And then from that point, all the way to verse 15, up to verse 14, he shares uh, all the blessings that shall come their way. Now God is not expecting perfection here. When he talks about obeying their commandments, he's, he's talking about the covenant relationship. He's saying, you maintain your relationship with me. That's what he wants. He just wants us to walk with him. He wants us to keep his commandments before him. Nobody, none of the Jews could be perfect, especially, and we know that now, when, we, when Jesus articulated the spirit of the law, you know, they just had to worry about not killing. But, but again, the key was not God was saying, you better be perfect. He was saying, we're in a covenant and I want you to, to understand that you have some obligations to walk with me. And then in verse six and then in verse um fifteen he says, But it shall come to pass, if thou shalt heark- uh, excuse me, it shall come to pass if thou wilt not, not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. And He just goes on all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 68. So from verse 15 to verse 68, he just talks about what's going to happen if you break the commandment, the, the, the consequences. And then in chapter 29, in verse 1, he says, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which we made beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So Israel, the Jews, were a covenant relationship. They were, they were in a covenant relationship. And when they went into the promised land, this was their challenge, uh, God's biggest concern, God knew, he said, you know, when you go into that land, do not worship their gods. You know, you are my covenant people. Uh, you're a testimony. You represent me. And he did not want them worshiping and getting involved in idolatry, which of course they did. Uh, and Israel now judged, and now they're in Assyria. Eventually, Babylon would come down and conquer Syria, and then they'd come and get uh, Judah. And so, you know, the Babylonian captivity uh, would officially begin. But let's look at this challenge now in verse 10, Jeremiah 5 and verse 10. Uh, he is now talking. To an unnamed group that is going to carry out his wishes. He's, it's like he's giving them permission. We know this is referring to Babylon now, but he says, Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. That's an important statement that will come at the end of our text tonight as well. Make not a full end. God's, just like with Satan, you know, go after Job, but I got, you know, you can only do so much. Here he's telling this unnamed enemy of, of the Jews, go up. Again, go up upon her walls. The, the, the Hebrew term that is for walls is is literally like terraces. He's he's giving a picture of a vineyard, and the um, the vine rows, the the terraces, are the walls. He says, and destroy, and, and but but make not a full end. Take away her battlements. Now, battlements is an old English word that back in the 1300s simply, um, it was identified this, an indented parapet in uh, at the top of a wall, at first used only in fortified buildings for purposes of defense against assailants. And so that's the idea, that's why you see this word, uh, and that's what it used to mean. But afterwards, in the architectural decoration, dec- decoration of ecclesiastical and other edifices. So the Hebrew term that is translated here as go up her walls is not like the walls of a city. It Literally, this picture is of a vineyard. And God is saying to this unknown farmer, this is the imagery, He's saying, you go up and I'm going to have you doing some pruning to my vineyard, which is the juice. But He puts parameters and He says, and take away her battlements which is basically that's a, a, the the Hebrew word is um, for battlements. I, I just gave you the definition, didn't I? It's the top. So in other words, the walls are the terraces, and the battlements are branches or tendrils. In other words, here's what here's what God's telling Jeremiah: I want you to go into the vineyard, and I want you to start pruning away. Not everything. I want you don't want you to destroy the vineyard. I want you to prune it away and all the you know all the dead parts and all I want you to take away, um, for they are not the Lord's. So the heavenly farmer permits the enemy. Someone said, heavenly farmer permits the enemy to take undertake a severe pruning of his choice vine, uh, which now had become a degenerate vine. Listen to this same picture. Hundred years before, Isaiah used this picture to preach to the northern tribes before Assyria came in. Listen to what God said through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. Now will I sing to my beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. O now, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. So he's using, Jeremiah now, God is using the same picture to Judah, and he's basically giving a foreign country, a pagan country, Babylon, and he's getting them to do his service. That's why the title of the message is Foreign Service. And uh, verse 11, he says, For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. They have belied, that's an old English word which means to speak falsely or to lie. They have lied, they have belied the Lord and said, It is not He, God, uh, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. In other words, what they're saying now is, what Jeremiah is saying, you know, God is going to judge you. and They're saying, God's not going to do that. That's not the kind of God we worship. See, they were looking at the fact that they were a covenant people and they were looking at all the blessings and privileges of the covenant, and they were. And it was like they just totally blanked out on the fact that they had forsaken God, they had forsaken Him, and so they're saying, "This isn't the Lord, Jeremiah. What are you talking about? That's not the God I worship." You know, uh, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword or famine, Judah needed a major lesson on God's chastening. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. And I'm not going to rush. We're gonna, we'll get done what we get done today. I'm going to stop right at 7, so um, just take a breath, Lion. Okay. Let's talk about discipline. We have made uh, the distinction, and I'm going to read another source, that there a is a difference between punishment and chastening, or discipline. And when you are a child of God, uh, and the difference between condemnation and chastening, or, or again, discipline, when you become a child of God, what does the Bible say? There is therefore now very little condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus? No. There is therefore now no condemnation. So when you, and I, just like what we're talking about this morning, When you and I become God's children, the judgment, the punishment is taken off the board because Christ paid for it. And now, when we're bad, because we still do bad, it's it's chastening. And and, um, here's the amazing thing. I, I love the book of Job, and I want to read to you. There's so many verses that talk about chastening in the Scriptures. And one of the first verses in Scripture, as far as chronologically, comes from... A man that considered that considered himself Job's friend, but he, you know, Job's friends mainly just persecuted him. But one of them was Eliphaz, and some of the commentators think because he initially was it was going along with uh, Bildad and Zophar and Elihu, the other friends, and they're just basically saying, "Come on, Job, come clean. God never God never brings trials to people that walk with Him." You've obviously done something wrong. You've obviously got sin in your life. Come on, come clean. That was basically what they were saying through the whole thing. And Eliphaz, I believe was he was the youngest one, he started saying the same thing and then some think he then got wise because he said in Job chapter 5 and verse 17, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth, therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Now that's a, a verse that comes from Proverbs but Proverbs wasn't written at this point. Uh, let me read to you that verse. It's Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. This morning we were quoting from Hebrews 12. It says the same thing. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. And then Psalm ninety-four twelve, when we or I just I just mixed up two verses. Let me finish the Proverbs one. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the Son in whom he delighteth. And then Psalm ninety four says, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Notice this theme Blessed, blessed, blessed is the man who God chastens. You'll never see a verse that says, blessed is the man that God condemns. You don't see that. And then, 1 Corinthians 11, we were just there. But when when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Notice the distinction between chastening and judgment. And so here's, here's one theologian's take on Eliphaz's comment. His name is Professor Lee, I'm not sure... Uh, this was in pulpit commentary, I'm not sure who Professor Lee was. He's commenting on Eliphaz saying this to Job. You know, happy, happy is the man whom God correcteth. This man says, this opens a new view of the subject. Hitherto, up to this point, Eliphaz has regarded afflictions as simply punitive. Now it occurs to him that they are sometimes chastisements. That's the difference is that punishment has regard only to the past to the breach of the moral law committed and the retribution which has to follow it. Chastisement looks to the future. It aims at producing an effect in the mind of the person chastised at benefiting him and raising him in the scale of moral being. And so in this point of view, afflictions are blessings. And so the idea is that Eliphaz suddenly came to and said, it's like he's saying, you know, Job, come to think of it, maybe... You didn't do anything wrong and, and maybe God is just chastening you just to grow you. And, um, and in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So keep in mind, don't ever forget, punishment looks back. And it is retribution for the, the sins that are done. Chastening looks to the future and it's simply to correct us, to benefit us, to grow us. And folks, when you look at how God dealt with Israel and and Judah, people would say, wow, that was a real punishment. But keep in mind, and in fact, notice uh, again in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. And then, the last verse, which is verse 17, it says, And they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and daughters should eat. No, verse 18, rather. 5.18, Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end. Twice God says, in as He's telling Babylon first, saying, Go up and do my pruning to Judah. You know, there's some branches there you need to go and prune, but don't make an end of it. In other words, you're not destroying it. Then he says it at the end. Because these are his covenant people. He's chasing them. That's what God does for their benefit. It's not that God is giving up on them, nor would God give up on his children. And and we, we must never forget that. And so, I am reminded of how God works and again the title of the message is foreign service and in this case the you know the divine husbandman or farmer is god and he's now using babylon to do the husbandry and there's nothing godly about babylon they did not have yahweh in their vocabulary in fact god had to personally teach and humble king nebuchadnezzar cuz he was so arrogant But despite the fact that he was a pagan king and a pagan nation, God calls him several times in several places, my servant. Because they were doing God's service in in bringing chastisement to the Jews. Now I want you to keep this in mind. King Nebuchadnezzar, no friend of God, no friend of Israel's, and yet, God is going to use him work in the Jews let's take other examples remember Joseph's brothers did Joseph's brothers care about the well-being of their brother Joseph one of them enough not to see him killed but they wanted to see him killed they were ready to kill him until one of them intervened and then what did they do they had no regard for him they sold him into slavery because they hated him they were bitter they sold him into slavery knowing that it would devastate and break their father's heart. And Joseph then, it cho- just torn away from his family, spent the rest of his life for, for multitudes of years, severed from his family, broken hearted. And God turned it all around. And when Joseph had the opportunity... He said something about his brothers that showed incredible wisdom. And you, you've heard this many times just from this pulpit too. He said to his brothers, as for you, he's not sugarcoating anything. As for you, you thought evil against me. In fact, if you have your Bibles real quickly, since we're taking our time, turn to Genesis 50, 20. We only have a few minutes left, so uh, I want you to see this. Genesis 50 and verse 20. Because next week when we finish this, we're going to be talking about um, the devices of men, the intentions of men. Uh, uh, It kind of connects with, if you were in our Bible study this morning and then next week we're going to follow with it, talking about conspiracy theories. And uh, there was a conspiracy theory in Isaiah's time. And God sent Isaiah to King Ahaz to basically say, you know what's going on? This conspiracy! Don't 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 say Conf- it's a conspiracy. Don't fear them. Fear me. Focus on me. And um, here, Joseph learns that lesson. Look at Genesis chapter fifty and verse twenty. He's talking to his brothers now. These scoundrels. These people that are not his friend. These people that did not bless him in any way. You know, selling him into slavery, wanting wanting them dead. And he says this, but as for you, now they everything's changed. He's now the second man in power in Egypt and they're realizing that they have done him wrong and they're as good as dead. And now they're afraid. And Joseph says, fear not. He says, as for you, he said, as for you, you thought evil against me. Now, take note of this. The Hebrew word for thought is the Hebrew word cheshab, And it's going to be used later on in this sentence translated a different English word. But it's the same word meaning the same thing. He said, as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it. That's the word cheshab. That's the same word. To think, to mean to intend their purpose, their device. So, when he said, you thought you intended evil against me, and they did. But God intended, or God meant it unto good. So, we've got two conflicting purposes, intentions. His brothers wanted him dead. They had no regard for him. But you know what? You've got the brothers' intentions... And then you've got God, and if you leave God out of it, all you're going to do is focus on the people that intend to do you harm, that don't like you, that have ill will towards you, and and sometimes we do that, don't we? We focus on the people that we view as our enemies. That's why Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, because there's a bigger power, God, who, as we'll look at next week, can oversee and overrule whatever evil intentions are, so that they were limited. They didn't know it. But Joseph's brothers were limited in what they could do. In fact, maybe it was that, you know, they wanted them dead, and we saw that. That was their intention. But God wouldn't let them. And who knows, maybe God put, was it Benjamin, I think, that God God put it in one of their hearts to intervene. That was God doing his work. Because nobody's going to go further than God lets them. And so, they mean it for evil, God means it for good. To bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Folks, God is just as in charge of our life as He was with Joseph's life. And understand, when we talk about foreign service, God doesn't just use other Christians... God doesn't only use spirit-led believers who are seeking God every day and praying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? God is using evil wicked men who think they're in charge of their life, who think I've got the power. Remember remember uh, Potiphar. Uh, you know or not Potiphar, excuse me. Um Who is it? Which um you know, no, uh, the one that said to Jesus, "You know, I have power to release you." Who was it? Pilate. Thank you, Pilate. Mental break. Uh, once again, your pastor is there being fallible. Uh, so we've got Pilate who's saying, don't you know I have power over you? And, and Jesus said, you, you have no power except God can give it. And Jesus had perfect peace. Joseph had peace knowing they meant it for evil, but God had bigger plans, so God allowed it to happen for a good thing. And he didn't get, probably didn't know for a long time until he got power and then now, you, he sees it all. He's like, whoa. He knows. God has used this to save much people alive. The Jews. And ultimately, the line of the Savior. Wow. So keep in mind that whatever opposes you, whoever opposes you, whatever circumstances come against you, they are all servants of the Most High, unwittingly. But God is in charge. And He's only going to let them do what He wants them to do. And again, they have evil intentions. Who cares? God's orchestrating it. He's going to bring good out of it, or He's not going to let it happen. And you and I can rest in that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us, as we look at the life of Jeremiah, and we see uh, what You were doing to the people of Judah, Lord, You did not abandon them. They abandoned You. And uh, You love them so much that You chastened them. And uh, Father, You still, You never gave up. And you, you gave them the promised Messiah. They were so blessed in so many ways. Uh, but Lord, You lovingly chasten them as You do all Your children. And You do with us. So Lord, help us to understand Your ways. And we'll thank You for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please take your hymn books out. Let's all stand. And we will close in song.